Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's May 5th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing great, Matt. I've been busy since the last time we spoke. I'm amassing an armada of crabs, <laughs> otherwise known as a you should, speak to, you should speak to your doctor about that, Austin. But anyway. anyway uh, <laughs> the, virtual kind, the virtual kind of crabs, Matt. Come on. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we established that early on. This uh, this episode could have gone really bad real quick. Uh, so you've been diving into Krabada, uh after after yeah. the the great episode we had with uh, with Bumsy, right? That was that was a good fun one. Yes, I was so glad that we were able to get Bumsy on the show. Uh, what a guy that really knows his stuff. And what a bizarre game. Um, definitely been a fun one to dive into. Yeah, explaining to your loved ones that you're investing thousands of dollars into digital crabs is a conversation that I didn't think would be something that would come <laughs> up in my my life. But, you know, here we are. And what uh, what's even stranger is, you know, that's not even the weirdest conversation I've had to have in in that realm. So, Anyway, this is this is the new normal of where we are with Web three, and uh, I'm you know I'm here for it. I'm here for that. <laughs> Same here, man. We've got some weird stories today too. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into our first story of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Okay, the first story of the day is all about Board Ape Yacht Club. And unless you have been living under a rock, you will have probably heard the fact that they're launching their new metaverse project, Other Side. Well, at least they've just done their land sale of Other Side. I think the launch is going to be much later down the line. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, this was an absolutely enormous launch, and it pretty much <laughs> took down the the Ethereum blockchain for a period of time. Not, not literally, but gas fees went absolutely crazy uh, during, during the launch. This happened... Um, on Saturday, and there was a total of 55,000 other deeds sold. And and an other deed is essentially your claim to a piece of land in their their new metaverse that they're going to be building. So you can think of it as a competitor to Decentraland or Sandbox. And each of these other deeds were sold at a flat price of 305 ApeCoin, um, or which which uh, ApeCoin is the um, Board Ape, uh, or at least the Yuga Labs um, kind of ecosystem token, and uh, that that was around about five and a half thousand dollars at the time of purchase, and it raised around $320 million in what was considered the, and, and I mean, this also happened in a space of minutes. Uh, so it's probably the largest NFT mint in history so far. And, you know, 
gas fees went so crazy during this and it congested the the ethereum network so much that some someone actually paid as much as 5 eth purely in gas just to just to get into Wild. into this i know it's 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 crazy um it, and <clears throat> i think that you know yuga labs have actually come in to face a lot of criticism for this uh they they clogged up the ethereum blockchain and i think the way that they did this was uh the, the way that they structured the mint itself was um one of the reasons why they've they've had a lot of criticism because typically with something that's going to have demand like this you would probably structure it in something like a dutch auction where over time the uh the price gets cheaper and cheaper so it incentivizes spacing out the the mint reducing congestion but yuga labs decided no let's just have at it let's have a free-for-all and yeah, I mean, they they came out and they've like tweeted an apology here. Uh, I don't know if you saw that that tweet and what they said, Austin. Yeah, I mean, it was classic. They're like, literally, they're like, we're sorry for turning off the lights on Ethereum for a while. <laughs> but it sounds like uh, they're learning from this. They, they've said that they're thinking that ApeCoin is going to need to migrate to its own chain in order to scale. And they're encouraging the DAO to start thinking in that direction. So obviously this was a, a learning experience um, and potentially could lead to an evolution of their approach. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that, that they say that ApeCoin will probably need to migrate to its own chain. I, I, I thought that might be the case. We've seen with um, <clears throat> other metaverse slash GameFi projects like Axie Infinity uh, build out their own uh, standalone chain in the, the Ronin chain. Uh, that, that hasn't exactly had the most spectacular uh, debut with a $650 million hack. Uh, but hey, uh, we would assume there'd be some <laughs> learnings that will happen if, uh, if, if ApeCoin goes onto its own chain. But what I, uh, what I thought was interesting is, so first of all, let's, let's chat very, very briefly about uh, other deeds. Um, so the, each, each of the other deeds, so like the deeds to, to land inside the upcoming other side metaverse, this date is still TBC. Um, so I, I really don't know when that's going to launch. It's going to be an enormous launch. I know that, but the land itself um, it's really nicely designed just from a visual perspective, these other deeds. And it, it, it varies in both design and what I thought was kind of interesting the way they did this with content as well. So some of these plots of land are just purely land. And uh, when people were minting them, they, they didn't know what they were going to get. So others, they also contained resources, things like an axe, a shovel, and then a small, a very small number of them contain creatures called coders, um, K-O-D-A. And <clears throat> these seem to be the, the most sought after, certainly now on the secondary market, rare plots. And I think all of these like resources, the coders, and probably a, a whole host of other things that will be revealed are likely going to play a central role in the other side when it actually launches. And you know, at the time of writing, the floor price on other deeds on OpenSea is around about four ETH. So, you know, if if you got in on the the mint, you're gonna immediately like triple your your cash. But that's that's already rising up. But the, whereas the ones 
where there's a coda on the land, the floor is rising up already now just uh, above 20 ETH. So you can see kind of the the big difference there. Um, but the, the, the very last thing that I wanted to call out on this, which is kind of gone under the radar a little bit, which is enormous, in my opinion, for Yuga Labs and the whole uh, ape ecosystem, is OpenSea has now began accepting ApeCoin directly uh, for, for payment. So you can purchase NFTs on OpenSea with ApeCoin. This is enormous for creating utility for that token um, and is, is going to be a pretty bullish signal for it, considering all the criticism and uh, pessimism surrounding it long term. So I, I thought I would, uh, I would call that out as, as another big move there. All right, now we're going to move into our second story of the day. So Square Enix, the developers of famous games like Tomb Raider, uh, have actually sold off Tomb Raider and three studios to fund NFT games. So they're diving in head first. And some of the games that they've sold off here include, in addition to Tomb Raider, uh, Legacy of Cain and Thief and Deus Ex, as well as the three studios that I mentioned, which are Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. It represents about 1,100 employees in total. So big sell-off. Yeah, they netted $300 million from this sale. So a pretty large chunk of capital that they are going to be allocating to develop NFT games. And this isn't unprecedented for them, but it's certainly the largest move that they've made in this direction. They've classically been pretty vocal in support of blockchain and NFT-based games. Um, In 2020, they actually led a $2 million funding round for what they call the Sandbox, which is an Ethereum-based game. And they're bringing Dungeon Siege into the Sandbox's game world right now. Um, where interesting, I didn't realize that yeah. they 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 were, uh, were were in a funding round for Sandbox. That's that is an interesting move, and I guess that makes sense that they would probably look to build games into the the Sandbox ecosystem. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's certainly interesting. Um, in that ecosystem, players can own virtual land plots that are sold via NFTs. So they've been experimenting with this for quite some time but of course two million dollars is a a small chunk of change compared to the 300 million that they netted from the sale so i think it'll be interesting to watch what this titan of a japanese game developer does going forward um some of the quotes that i read from their leadership were, were pretty clear about their bullish view on nft games and um their 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 thought that it's effectively the the future of their industry um and they're not the only player that is a, a legacy player that's making large strides into nft uh ubisoft also launched in-game nft items via the tezos blockchain so um yeah it's i think it's really cool to see these game developers that we're all sort of familiar with and have been around for decades um, starting to make this next evolution into NFT games. Yeah, I, th- I think it's r- really interesting and have an obvious bias to, towards uh, I- enjoying the the NFT kind of gaming space. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see like more just traditional game studios like move in. And I, I think it's a really good thing because... <clears throat> 
when you have that expertise in actually building out like great games, I do think that this is when you're going to start to move towards, well, move away from just attracting Web3 kind of crypto natives into these kind of like GameFi experiences and actually reach completely like uh, reach people for the first ever time of their exposure into crypto Web3 as a, a whole and bring them into the ecosystem through a game. Because I think it is just, it's a it's a bit of a more an approachable entry point than most of the financial uh, entry points that, that people will get. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move into our next story of the day, and it's a pretty big one. So the past week inside the Phantom ecosystem has been a wild one. And, you know, for any of you that have followed Phantom, uh, I've, been a, I've been a historical fan of Phantom. It's been a pretty wild time this whole year, to be honest. But... This week has been particularly notable. So <clears throat> here's the TLDR on what's been happening. And if any of you have been following the downward spiral and now kind of late rally, at least, of, of, of Phantom, all the way down to as low as 67 cent, I think. And now we're hovering back up closer to the mid 80 cent mark. But what was behind all of this was a huge whale in the Phantom ecosystem. Um, goes by the name Roosh relatively well-known in, in the space, locked up $50 million worth of Phantom as collateral on the DeFi protocol Scream and immediately borrowed $37 million worth in stablecoins against uh, his his position of Phantom. It's worth noting that that Phantom uh, collateral that he deposited at the time of acquiring it was worth closer to around about 90 million, I believe. So, you know, more of a signal of how Phantom's been doing since uh, Andre has kind of left the scene. However, what he what he did with that 37 million in stables is immediately bought up uh, Deus and Solid tokens, locked them for four years and made his position completely illiquid. So he's got, at this moment in time, right, when uh, at the beginning, which I think was roughly a week ago, he's got $50 million worth of Phantom locked up as collateral. He'd borrowed $37 million in stables, immediately purchased Deus and Solid tokens, locked them for four years. So basically there's like no liquidity right now. Everything's locked up and tied up. Now, when you're for, for those of you that aren't as familiar with how borrowing in DeFi works, you are uh, the the moment that you've borrowed. So let's say he's borrowed thirty seven million against a fifty million position. He's locked up that collateral. The only way you can get back that collateral is by pe- repaying that thirty seven million in stables uh, that debt. However, if the price of Phantom starts to drop down to a certain threshold, I think in this case it's around about 0.75 percent um, of his total collateral he could borrow against. The moment it starts going below that, well, his collateral starts to get liquidated, sold off to repay his debt and bring it back up to a a health ratio that's stated at the time of um, of purchasing. Well, you know, wider macro conditions haven't been that great. And pretty much the, the, the next day of Roosh locking up this Phantom, Phantom price takes a big hit with the rest of the market, somewhat unrelated to this, and 
started to trigger a liquidation on his collateral. And <clears throat> now, uh, this this is a this is a huge deal for a number of reasons. One, the sheer volume of collateral that was starting to get liquidated was going to congest the phantom network so much. Uh, if if it all started to go out into the open market and be sold off, um, that it would completely clog the network. There was a lot of misinformation that actually there wasn't enough phantom that was liquid enough to pay off the uh, to to be able to liquidate it uh, effectively. That was actually complete misinformation, and I think caused a further downward spiral. But here's what happens, and here's what I think is kind of crazy. Uh, so the the founder of Liquid Driver, another DeFi protocol on Phantom, Doctor Liquid, he alerts Laffer, the uh, Scream founder, to kind of this potential cascade of liquidations that could have happened, and and Laffer sends Roosh, the, the the whale, two million in a loan to be able to top up his collateral purely to stop like the craziness of all of this uh, liquidations just completely clogging up the the network. It, it it somewhat helps here. However, liquidations begin. Phantom price drops down uh, from I think around the dollar mark to seventy nine cents. Phantom gas fees skyrocket up to around thirty thousand guay, and the network is completely overloaded. If you were like trying to get fees, uh, trying to do any kind of transaction, trying to get your uh, assets off of Phantom at this point, which many people were, it was it was borderline impossible. Then, uh, like uh, the next day, the second and the following day after that, second and third liquidation cascades happen, dropping Phantom to $76. At this point, Roosh only had $35 million worth of Phantom, down from 50, uh, $55 million as, as collateral. Fourth and continuing uh, liquidations then bring this position down to $30 million, uh, 26.5 million and then 18 million. It's a monumental loss for for Rouge. And uh it seems like now this kind of uh the the liquidation cascade risk is is pretty reduced at this point, but it just shows the the craziness of what can happen with when when you're being over leveraged and the scale at which this can create uh secondary effects when it's at the size of this. And I think maybe my takeaways in all of this is please use leverage carefully and we really need to avoid having huge volumes of assets owned by single entities because uh, it's kind of the antithesis of the whole decentralization of crypto side of things. So yeah, fun times to be a phantom holder, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know, that Reddit thread uh, where all of this was going down was really interesting. It was wild to see how the panic sort of unraveled in real time. Um, and of course the Reddit thread is still there. Maybe we could drop the link to it in the description. Yeah, we'll link out for episode. sure. Yeah. Um, some really interesting comments to read uh, where folks are speculating about what, like this potentially crashing the entire phantom network. Um, oh yeah. There was a lot of like phantom is going to zero and you know, like, and then just like misinformation around data points and how much liquidity was across the blockchain as a whole. And I think for like even relatively savvy investors, it's it's really difficult to dig into all the details, especially at the pace at which this is happening. So any rational person would say, well, you know, I don't fancy risking this, especially if you've got 
uh, let's say you've got a load of stable coins locked up in the phantom ecosystem. You don't actually hold phantom, but maybe you're like earning yield on some stable coins in phantom, uh, which a lot of people are. You're probably thinking, well, if if this whole thing goes to shit, the, the, the secondary third level impacts here could mean I lose all of my funds as well. I'm going to get these off the network. And that's what this rush then of just huge gas fee increases um, happening, congestion, people not being able to do it, getting even more scared. And, you know, the, the FUD spiral starts to really, really kick in then. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a wild time, especially as I was watching this unravel kind of in real time over the, the weekend on Twitter. It's, uh, yeah, not fun. But hopefully, hopefully, I think that the, the situation has um, kind of got into some kind of balance now and should be in a better place moving forward. Glad to hear it. What a wild ride. I'm going to bring us back to some stability here with a legal roundup next. So, exciting news. And a bit of personal pride as a Texan myself now, Fort Worth, Texas has become the first U.S. city to mine Bitcoin in an official capacity. Um, so they, they're going to be starting with a pretty humble pilot. It's three Bitmain S9 mining computers. Um, these are one of the oldest and cheapest Bitcoin mining machines that are available. They're really popular among new miners. So obviously this is just the, the city kind of dipping their feet in, getting a, a, a feel for how all of this works and what is a six-month pilot. And if it goes well, there will be uh, additional significant investment from what we can tell. Um, it's exciting. Texas has, over the course of the past couple of years, really become the dominant hub for miners in the U.S. because of the cheap power and mining-friendly local legislation that the state has. Um, so it's cool to see a city as large as Fort Worth, which is the fifth largest city in Texas, but Texas has some pretty big cities, so it's a beast. Um, yeah. It's it's cool to see them adopting this in an official capacity. And, and is this mainly just to, like, generate... I, I'm just trying to think about the what these funds are going to be used for. I'm, I'm assuming it's just going to go and uh, be used for like public services, things like that. They're just going to treat this as like income into the, into the state. Is that what's kind of happening here? Yeah, that's, that's uh, correct. Um, it is a partnership with the information technology solutions department data center, which is at Fort Worth. Rolls, rolls off Hall. the tongue. That one rolls <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's also a partnership with the Texas Blockchain Council. So it's it's a bit of a research project, I would say, to see um, both how this could be used as a revenue source for the state, but also how it might help to establish the state as a blockchain crypto Web3 center, um, or a, as they're calling it, a, a mining capital in this case. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's it's interesting to watch. And, of course, as is the beauty with the federalized United States, um, New York is going the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. So recently, New York has advanced a, a fairly controversial bill that actually aims to put a two-year moratorium on select proof-of-work 
crypto mining operations. Um, they're 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 citing environmental concerns, which are you know also completely legitimate as the the reasoning behind this. So I think it'll be uh, cool to see how this plays out over the course of the next months and years. Um, and to see where Texas ends up at the end of all of this. On yeah, top of a, this, well, yeah. Well, one 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 thing though I, that I thought was interesting on like the New York side of things, you know, the recently the past couple of months, the EU had a similar bill that was being put through around actually just straight up banning any proof of work mining in the whole of the the European Union. Um, that's like, I'm, I'm not giving the exact legal definition here, but like, that was the TLDR of it. It seemed almost certain to go through and actually like last minute, uh, it was, uh, it was voted down, uh, which I was actually very surprised at for Europe. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting seeing, especially, I I think there's good and bad about a lot of like the, the proof of work, um, I guess like legislation uh, that's trying to be pushed in place in terms of its environmental impact. I think on one side, I think some of the environmental impact is overstated. However, I think it's very important that we don't understate it. And if this gets more of a shift towards alternative consensus in the sense of proof of stake and others, I think that's a good thing. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's an interesting one though, for sure. It certainly is. On top of this, Tennessee, which is actually where I am right now, pure coincidence, um, has passed you, a new are bill. Are you forming legislations just from place <laughs> to place? Is this, is this you doing all of this, Austin? <laughs> I'm, I'm following the crypto legislation by foot. <laughs> what a road trip. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, here you go. Tennessee has passed a new bill that formally recognizes the registration of DAOs as wow. sort of like corporate entities. Um, and again, the intent here is to make Tennessee a destination for Web3 entrepreneurs. So the, sort of the way that I'm thinking about this is like, Delaware became a huge hub for traditional LLCs. There's that famous building that has like tens of thousands of companies in one building in yeah. Delaware. Um, it's a bit crazy. And it's because of... It's <laughs> the, not, not the, uh, the most ideal WeWork, I would say, at this point. Yeah, it's a little cramped right now. Um, but that's because of this really favorable legislation that Delaware put into place, I, I believe it was decades ago, um, for the easy formation of LLCs and management of taxes and all of this stuff. South Dakota has become a hub for credit card companies, again, because of friendly legislation that they put into place. And so that's what Tennessee is attempting to do here is is saying, hey, we are recognizing DALs as a formal legal entity. And they're actually the second state to do so. Wyoming was the first, again, with the the same motivations. Now, this is a little bizarre, right? Um, When you think about like crypto and tech adoption at a legislative level, I I wouldn't say that like Texas and Tennessee and Wyoming um, for the average American would be the first states that come to mind. But increasingly over the course of the past couple of years, that's exactly what's been happening, especially as cities like Austin and where I live now and Nashville, where I'm currently at, are um, exploding in in, in tech entrepreneurs moving there and becoming based out of there and starting their companies there. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen long term, but I think it's a really positive sign to see 
um, this this forward thinking movement um, happening in these regions of the country. It's going to allow for a, a lot of new, interesting competition and uh, dynamics, I think. Outside of the United States, Panama, the country of Panama, has also just passed a bill recognizing DAOs. So they're doing a similar thing. And they're also regulating cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin, as well as several others, as legal tender. So this is similar, but also different in some ways to what El Salvador and the Central African Republic more recently have done, um, where they've become the first two countries to make Bitcoin an official currency. So I think it'll be interesting to, to watch what's happening both in the United States with regard to legal, is it, legal uh, recognition of DAOs and cryptocurrencies as tender as well as outside of it. Yeah, I think like the DAOs piece in particular is something that there's just a, a big vacuum right now where I think it makes sense for states in particular and more jurisdictions across the world to give stronger guidance around DAOs because it's incredibly unclear. Um, it creates a lot of like legal uncertainty. It's very difficult. I mean, as someone who uh, is is part of a team that, that that runs a DAO, you know, it's it's very challenging to to navigate the legal landscape that practically doesn't exist. And you know, it's uh, I think the more guidance, the the better. And I think there's a good incentive as well when you put kind of proper legal structures in place for entities like this well you know you can tax them properly and like put guidelines in place properly etc etc so yeah i'm i'm interested to see that wow we've had we've had some great great stories there's been a lot going on this week and uh why don't we why don't we wrap things up here just with a few other little extras that uh that, that, that we pulled in um, to, to chat a little bit about briefly at the end. Coinbase, they took out the first Bitcoin-backed loan from Goldman Sachs. That is a, a pretty significant um, deal, right? And I don't think it's got the, the attention that it's deserved so far. Yeah, this is, of course, there's been, you know, pl plenty of precedent set for Bitcoin backed loans, but not from an entity like Goldman Sachs. They've never done anything like this before. And the speculation is that they're actually receiving a lot of pressure and demand for crypto backed loans. And that this is just their first sort of, I guess, least, least risky attempt at doing this. Maybe, maybe they feel that, you know, Coinbase, um, would, would be the best way to sort of de-risk an attempt at a Bitcoin-backed loan. And if you look at the terms of the loan, um, they're not great for Coinbase. So you, yeah. you can see that this is obviously um, just a sort of like, let's let's prove that this is possible and that the market will react in the right way and that we can main, create a structure that will maintain enough stability to where this is feasible in the long term over like a, a real proper loan. Yeah, and it's a good marketing play in all fairness for the both of them and for Goldman Sachs. Clearly, they're going to command pretty pretty significant terms that you would almost certainly not agree upon were it not like a Bitcoin-backed kind of first in, in this space. Um, so that's a really cool one that we'll check out. And then I think the final thing to, to round out, and we were talking a little bit more uh, last week about the Coinbase um, NFT marketplace. Which, which actually, I, I forgot to say this. I, I saw a tweet uh, from like the the beta, um, the first week. I think they had something like 
just 900 transactions happen in that first week, which is yeah horrendous, really, is now. Yeah, it was now, and really I, slow. It's really slow. I, I think, you know, I think that maybe that stat looks worse because it's still very much invite only for being able to make transactions. At the same time, I think that's much lower than most people thought. But we're seeing I, more I think of... it's it's definitely low because the uh, I believe I read that they had a thousand users signed up. Like that's that's the amount of oh, okay. users that they were allowing into the beta. So that's less than one transaction per user. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, well, we we were saying at the time, you know, there's more and more uh, major centralized exchanges that are looking to launch their marketplace, and this is this is what we're seeing now with Kraken. Kraken are they've just launched their waitlist for their homegrown NFT marketplace, and their big thing that they're pushing is zero gas fees. Um, I think I think they're supporting Solana. NFTs as well as ETH mainnet uh, NFTs, and uh, we we should be seeing more about that in the next few months. But it's going to be interesting to see how much this kind of fragments the the NFT marketplace space. You 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 got to feel like there's going to be some consolidation that's going to start at, at some point, as we often see with marketplaces. It's very rare that they. Um, that lots of these exist at one point, unless we start to see more and more aggregators arrive, which is what I think will probably happen. Where we'll have these like aggregators that are almost like um, Expedia for NFTs and uh, search across different things, which could be good for driving um, good pricing, lower fees, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we still know uh, according to like what data is able to be pulled from this firm called Dune Analytics. It looks like OpenSea makes up about 68 to 80% 88% of all NFT marketplace activity and then its closest competitor looks rare is around 11 to 32%. So this is the sort of classic case where it's like one entity is going to take up two thirds of the pie and then the final third of the pie will be fought over by everyone else is what it's looking like right here. And as more competitors enter the market, I think that's certainly going to shake it up. But of course, not everybody is going to win out. I do think that Kraken's uh, value prop here with zero gas fees is really interesting. And regardless of whether it works out for them, we can see just about every NFT marketplace is feeling pressure to move in this direction. And that's a good thing. Definitely. Great thing for consumers. Well, we've wrapped up some great stories this week. Austin, it's been a pleasure. And thanks everyone for for tuning in. And we'll see you all next week for another episode of Off Chain. And of course, our regular weekly schedule of Monday episodes coming out on the Decrypting Crypto podcast. We've got a really good one coming up, so stay tuned for that. Thanks, everyone. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.